Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. The traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, check out shares of Chipotle heating up after hours as the stock has been on a tear. But do the traders believe in this turnaround? Plus, is it game over for the video game stocks? Two of the biggest names getting absolutely crushed. But one trader says they're setting up for a perfect reset. We will explain. But we start with the semi-sizzle, the group looking hot today, cruising through their 200-day moving average, and they've been the hottest area of tech this year. Check out some of these double-digit moves since the beginning of 2019 as the good news rolls in. So will semis become the hottest tech trade of 2019? What does that mean for the rest of the markets? Good sign, Pete Najarian. Well, I think... Terrible we, song, we, by the way, we, Pete. Yeah, oh, terrible. Sorry, sorry about no, that lead-in. But I would say this, in terms of the semis, and they were up 2.5% today according to the SMH, but... When you look at all the individual names right now in the semi space, I think what we're seeing is we see numbers that are better probably than people expected. But you said trade. I think from a trade perspective, yes, I love the trade. Do I think this is going to lead the market for the 2019? Absolutely not. I, I think there are other areas that can, probably more tech or somewhere else, maybe industrials. But I think the semis, we have these ups, we have these downs, we overshot to the downside, now we're moving to the upside. I like what we're seeing out of them, but I'm a trader and I'm getting out of a lot of positions right but now. But I'll tell you what, the semis led us in 2018. I mean, let's remember that in March of 2018 is when the semis, measured by the SMH, hit their highs, and it wasn't until six months later that the S&P 500 hit their highs. The other thing about the semis, I would argue they're a lot more uh, indicative of what's going on in the economy than even the transports are. If you overlay the semi chart versus the PMI, you almost get a perfect correlation and you can kind of predict what's going on so i would look at the semis as a leading indicator and as long as they're going higher i think you're okay leading indicator at least while things look like they're better than they were and i, I think the the case with the semis is one where people had priced in so much negativity I, I think look right now it's not necessarily a question of demand the question is really about how much they had sold off first quarter there tends to be a lot of optimism there's inventory builds um, i think we'll see by mid-year third quarter really what's there therefore um, up 26 percent off the lows outperformed the s p by 800 basis points and at the same time you see this outperformance by semis mm -hmm. you're also getting emerging markets above the 200 day you're starting to see some other parts of this same trade, which bode well for the reality that this trade is more than just semis oversold. I mean, part of this V, right, has been positioning, and I would think that the same is true for semis. They got absolutely crushed, right, when Apple reported, and we started hearing all those semis say, you know, things are, are weak, things are weak, things are weak, and we come around in January... Yeah. And it's off to the races. Off to the, it was interesting. Uh, Taiwan Semi reported a, a miss again in early-ish January, mm -hmm. and the stock didn't go down. And so they had already rebounded some, but that should have been to tell they had more, more to go. I mean, if I wasn't going to buy the semiconductor index when it got down to like 1075 at the bottom, I'm certainly not going to buy it up here. I think, I mean, I'll leave that to Pete, who had tr a great trade last night. Um, it just seems like this, I mean, if you had gone to sleep September last day of the third quarter and woken up and seen the semiconductor index today, flattish, up, down a little bit, but oh my God, in between, <laughs> I mean, that, I, I just can't, can't get on board here. I hope you're right. I hope it is indicative of an S&P rally to come. So does yeah. that mean that the bear suit's in the closet? It's mothballed? Yeah, what is all this bear suit? Well, I mean, this is the, can the canary in the coal mine or the leading indicator or the biggest bit of Come on, Mr. Bear. bear. Zippity zip. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so until, until proven otherwise, you have to say that the semis going higher are a good leading indicator economy. Now, we've had a massive run. Do we get some kind of a sell-off? Potentially, that's what's 
stocks do. But I would continue to look at that as a leading indicator. Well, I would th- I, until that's different, I can't be that bearish. I would say this about the semis. I like what we're seeing, and you look at valuations, they're perfectly fine. Matter of fact, in many cases, you're looking at almost single digits, micron single digits. But you look How about at like Intel. the Skyworks, the huge pop that we saw today. You right. Like Skyworks? Well, and that huge buyback. All the yep, different things that are going on right now in the, in the semis, that's great. I love it, but I think it's trades. And everything that I see in front of me right now is when you look at the option markets, which is obviously what I look at mostly, when I'm looking at the option markets, nobody wants to extend out. Everything is very short term. We're talking February expiration, March, but they do not want to extend out much further than that. And because of that, I think it's a great trade. I just don't think it's an investment. I just think the problem here is, once again, the same problem we had six weeks ago, is that positioning now has gotten to a place where, first of all, from a momentum perspective or measure of however bought or oversold, the S&P back to the highest nine-day RSI that it's had, seriously, since probably August. Same thing with the VIX. Back down to levels that it got to the day before we actually, October 4th, started to spike and sell off. You've had a repositioning. Bulls five weeks in a row, whether you look at bull bear indicators, whether you look at the CNN greed factor index. all of these things tell you that people have gotten kind of greedy lately and that although we're not in a place where we're at all-time highs again, you're right back to the 200-day. This is a major level for markets, 2750 to 2800. And it's hard to say you should be very excited when the industrial production data we got out of Europe and the rest of the world on Monday and Tuesday was terrible. This morning, industrial orders out of Germany tell you that their economy is slowing fast. The trade balance from January in the U.S., this is all lagging, like no big deal, except for the fact that it's telling you that things aren't great. So uh, all that paper is short-term paper in terms yeah. of the semis. Is Apple an investment versus semis as a trade in your view right now? For me it is. Or is Apple still a trade because of what the semis are telling right. you? Right. Well, for me, Apple is still a, an investment. It's something that's been very, very long-term. I mean, I've been literally in there for decades. The semis right? were telling you bad things were going to happen at Apple before Apple said that they bad did. things were happening they certainly, at Apple. They certainly, it turns out that uh-huh. they were right this time around. Yes. They're not always right, but this time around they were absolutely right. And and uh, I think Illumina or one of, those, one of the names out there that was... It's a much smaller name, but it's something that everybody looks at and they say, that's going to affect Apple, absolutely. And they, this time they were right. But I think the, the thing that the challenge is, is Apple still, and I, I say it every night, but is it an iPhone company that is 62% or is it the 38% that you look over and you look at the wearables in the others category where you're seeing the growth? And I think we are seeing enough of a shift and enough of that movement that I'm focused more on the growth than where we're shrinking right now with iPhone. I mean, I think if you look at Apple that way, then sure, it can be an investment. For me, everything's a trade. And I, I wouldn't want to suggest that you know, if you haven't bought semis or you haven't bought Apple, that tomorrow morning you go out and buy them. I mean, wait for some kind of a pullback. I, I think there's nothing wrong with taking stuff off the table. In the semis, the one that I think is probably the safest to buy, check out AMD, because there's a little bit of a different story going on where they're gaining market share. So they might actually be able to grow, even if the entire semi industry doesn't do that well. If not semis is a leading indicator where yeah. the markets go, then what? Then, then what sector? What well, index? I'm what not do you look sure. To? I mean, in the tech space, I'd rather have money in Alphabet, something like that, for sure. I just think it's a more, I mean, the commodity-like nature of the semiconductor business makes me somewhat uncomfortable. But I'm with Pete. I think industrials are in interesting, particularly if we get a trade deal. And well, I you, do think we will. And if you look at the numbers we've gotten out of earnings season, so we're halfway through earnings season, industrials are the ones that have actually held their EPS um, estimates, at least going into the quarter, as well as any sector out there. So I agree. The problem with what people are looking at, if you want to be critical of the rally year to date, it's been on low quality names. It's been on value. It's been on companies that actually are not free cash flow positive, that have high short interest, that were, were, were targets and could be defensive, believe it or not, in an environment where people were worried about growth. I think uh, 
back to this conversation, though, tech is high quality, at least a lot of the names right. that we're talking about. And that's really the rotation that arguably, you know, we haven't seen in a major way. And to be sure, there are plenty of their high-quality names have all, that have also benefited from this V-bounce. I mean, Boeing is one. Boeing. But let's, say, but let's say we get a China trade deal. Is that, is that part of this V? In other words, I think no, it's in, I think it's in some news. of that V. Yeah, I think some so of this V is anticipation of that. I wouldn't be surprised to see the market go lower if we got a trade deal from this point. Because we've rallied so much, I think a lot of it's realistic. How can the market Maybe go not higher? all of it, but a good portion of it. How can the market, I'm not asking you specifically, but then how can the market go higher if a trade deal means let's fade this news and without a trade deal, we're going to go to 25% on China tariffs very quickly. And, and we've argued that somewhere along the line, that's been a big part of this headwind. I don't know. I, I think it can go higher. I think that companies have still reported somewhat conservatively because they just don't know. You know, if you look at something like GM, I think we'll get to it. But, you know, they want to keep something back a little because they just don't know what the environment will be. People love certainty. Investors love certainty. If we had more certainty of a trade deal, I think the market would go And Jamie Dimon's talked about this. He talked about it back in December. He talked about, hey, with uncertainty becomes volatility, right? Well, people are getting a little bit more comfortable about the idea of a trade deal. I don't think we see a deal, but I do think we see progress. I think it keeps getting pushed out further and further. Tariffs in terms of uh, I don't know about the I think at least the tariffs won't escalate. But the mix is back below the long-term average. Right. And, you know, I have to say that there's still more uncertainty than there is certainty here. And and we talked about EPS quality and and where the EPS, I've certainly made the the point that EPS for S&P, which has already pulled back about 3% on a year-to-date estimate, is is certainly pricing in that earnings are not going to be as robust. But I, I think we're in an environment here where we still have a lot of questions if that they're not going to be robust then the one th- argument i'd say back is then then the trade deal's not priced in right i mean i i think that if the if it's priced in there are what they are but i don't think it is priced in and that's why i think there's plenty of room to run to the upside still right. in terms of industrial well here's a big picture the dow and nasdaq on track for their seventh straight week of gains but is wall street getting too bullish maybe and it could be a bad thing the investors intelligence bullish sentiment index is at levels not seen since early fall when stocks were at their highs and just before of course the big fourth quarter market drop so are too many bulls actually bearish let's bring in joe zeidel blackstone's chief investment strategist joe it's great to see you Thanks for having me. You're still bullish. Still bullish. And starting off with that sentiment chart that you just highlighted, I think it's interesting, but that's really a survey. It's asking people what they think. I prefer to look at what people are actually doing, how they're voting with their wallets. And I think when you look at data on mutual fund and ETF purchases and sales, it tells you that investors are still very skittish. From June of 2016, and the reason why I use June as as a starting point is because in June of 2016, that's when the 10-year Treasury yield hit 1.35%. That's when fear and and, skepticism kind of really hit their peak. From that day through uh, the end of January, investors have pulled almost $200 billion out of U.S. equity mutual funds and U.S. equity ETFs combined. Where'd that money go? Over $500 billion went into traditional fixed income (laughs) ETFs and mutual funds. Over that same time period, by the way, the S&P's up 37%. The Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, you know, the biggest index for fixed income, is up just 3% and change. I don't think investors are too bullish at this point. I think there's still a way to go to recover 
the, 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 the correction that we saw in the fourth quarter of last year. So when you're giving us those very interesting stats on where people have actually pulled their money out of and where they have parked their money in the meantime, does that imply that you think the markets will go higher and there's more room left in the rally because that money will, will come off the sidelines, as people like to say, and go into equities? And, and what will cause them to do that at this point mm-hmm. versus at other points in the past, like the beginning of 2018 when things were coming up roses? Right. I would say two things. Number one, I think at some point investors will capitulate and finally embrace this bull market. Uh, But number two, the bigger picture is you really don't get like bear markets when people are, you know, afraid and, and, and pessimistic. Really, if you think about what ends a bull market, one of the things that will end it, you know, aside from like, say, an inverted yield curve from too much Fed hiking, but one of the other things that will end a bull market is confidence. It's when investors are all in, like 1999 in tech stocks, when you've got, you know, the Internet, you've got the whole new paradigm and all that other stuff. That's when investors were all in and that will mark the end of a bull market. We're not there yet. So, so, Joe, first of all, welcome back. And, and getting this, this kind of view is a great one because it was so easy for people to come in here and tell you the world was coming to an end. You, you highlight mid-2016 uh, because we were coming out of this period where we thought a recession was a given, right? It was a growth scare. So we've had that growth scare, um, except for I don't think we've really priced in Europe's problems. If anything, the data is decelerating Europe. We look like we could be recessionary in Germany uh, within a couple quarters right now. The Aussie Central Bank last night basically did an exact U-turn on policy, the Aussie dollar off one and a half percent. That's a tell on China. We know China's weak. How do you how do you reconcile? I mean, I think it's a story of bad news equals good news, right? So number one, start with Europe. We saw Italy hit recessionary territory. If there's a consolation to Italy in a recession, it's that they have a lot of experience dealing with it. They've had three recessions since 2008. Number two, uh, growth in France also slowed. Number three, Germany barely avoided recession last quarter. Germany, Italy, and France could all end up in recessions in 2019 based on the direction of the leading indicators. That's point number one. So how does Europe respond? I think it forces the ECB back into quantitative easing. The ECB's exited it. They want out. But the conditions in Europe today are as weak as they were back in 2012 when the ECB announced they would do whatever it takes. So you're going to have liquidity from the ECB, point number one. Number two, the People's Bank of China has injected about 2.2 trillion renminbi in terms of stimulus into their economy so far. I think they'll do more. And then number three, the Fed has moved from tightening in 2018 to more dovish and even easing conditions. So step back and look at the conclusion. The major central banks of the world are going to be providing more liquidity in 2019, and liquidity is a type of fuel for risk assets. It's bullish. So we're back to don't fight the Fed, don't fight central banks. Wow. What's old is new. (laughs) Joe, thank you. Joe's idol. Wow. Interesting. All right, Karen, what do you make of that? Um, well, it's it, it sort of, I guess, you know, we're in an environment there. His, you're talking about what be, what's bad news is good news, right? Goodbye, the guest. What? No, careful. Yeah. careful. I was goodbye pointing the... to Pete. Oh, no, he says that. What's bad news nice is good recovery. news. Um, he always talks about I do. I bring yeah, that up every ECB that kind of and guy. policy, and that's really his thing. But no, I get what you're saying. It's an interesting argument. I, I'm bullish as well, but I do think it's time to buy protection. Mm-hmm. Right? So I would agree with that. I think the one thing, if I'm going to push back on it, is any of it is this money that's gone out of the stock market. Demographics might play a role here because you have a whole swath of baby boomers who got frightened by this sell-off and may not come back into the stock market. So that, if you want to take the bearish view on it, that's probably the bearish view. But again, until central banks decide that they no longer want to print money, then the stock market has potential to go up. I, I still think that if there's any kind of deal, any kind of progress, we continue to move to the upside. But that big hiccup, when that comes along, we've got an issue. Mm-hmm. All right.
Coming up, Janet Yellen speaking to our own Steve Leisman today, and there is something she said that has all of Wall Street talking. We'll bring you the comments. Plus, we're following the after hours millennial movers. Chipotle, Match Group, and Sonos all seeing huge moves. We'll bring you the latest details as those conference calls are underway. And later, it's the CBD crackdown. We will tell you why pot investors are running scared after the latest move from regulators and what it could mean for the future of these high-flying stocks. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Chipotle soaring in the after-hour session. Let's get to Kate Rogers back in Englewood, Cliss, for all the earnings details. Hey, Kate. Hi there, Melissa. So a really strong fourth quarter for Chipotle. Nice beats for the company on the top and bottom lines. Same store sales up 6.1% in the quarter. That's far surpassing the 4.5% lift projected. Digital sales grew by 65.6% in the quarter and were up 42.4% for the full year. Take a listen. For the full year, digital sales exceeded a half a billion dollars and accounted for 10.9% of sales. App downloads increased 72% year-over-year in 2018, and we continue to see strong interest from new and frequent as well as frequent guests at Chipotle. Since taking over as CEO, Brian Nickel has continued to focus on removing friction for guests to make Chipotle more accessible for its customers. The company has digital pickup shelves in stores. They're going to be nationwide by the end of this year. They're also testing what they called on the conference called Chipotle Lanes for mobile order and pickup right now. Chipotle is also continuing to see improvements with its delivery, said sales increased 13-fold year-on-year, thanks in part to some free delivery promotions that the company has ran. And Nickel also said Chipotle will continue to be cultural relevant. He called out their for real advertising campaign, which we'll see more of this month, showcasing the company's fresh ingredients. He also said Chipotle remains on track for a national rollout of its reward, rewards program this year. And we should mention the stock is up over 80% since he took over uh, in March of 2018. Melissa, back over to you. Thank you, Kate. Let's trade this. The stock has been on a tear. It's got the Chipotle lanes now, so things are even speedier at the checkout, Tim. Yeah, I mean, so digital is the, the big theme here, and that's great, except for the fact that as an investor, I, I think that you know, 80 times is a growth number that's going to be really tough for this company to live up to. I, I appreciate the fact that we've come so far in terms of where sentiment was. Obviously, uh, some of the, the food issues around the company have at least for now been turned around. That's great news. Brian Nichols done a phenomenal job. Uh, and people that have been short this stock have been destroyed. I think that's been a lot of the story. Um, it's hard to push back other than I think labor costs are going to be high, but good for them. Or the valuation. Yeah, very, very high. I mean, there's a lot to love in that quarter. I mean, that same store sales is huge and momentum's there. They're going to be opening 150 or some odd new stores. I mean, it's pretty impressive. All that having been said, two things. I can't, it's too expensive. And I wonder, Tim, is there a cannabis story that feeds into this um, Chipotle growth? Uh, maybe, maybe there is. I mean, I certainly know. everyone is looking for their cannabis angle right now, but I have not heard <laughs> that. You see where the same source sales are greatest exactly. by state. Yes. Nevada. Right. You, you know, if you want to draw those conclusions, that. Karen, I, I wish you would talk about it. a deep dive. <laughs> Just to yes. guess. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you that the other good thing about this quarter is Chipotle was able to raise prices in December. So the labor costs and also the food inflation, they talked about avocados costing more. They're able to offset that. So for now, you don't have to worry about the uh, uh, margin pressures coming in there as long as they can keep these prices Sneaky high. avocados. I thought yes. that there was I mean, an avocado glut. 
They said in their quarter that avocado oh, prices are high. maybe in the past high. and right, yeah. maybe right now but the spot goodness. prices I mean, of avocado oh, maybe, maybe right, are exactly. low. Well, but that should be, too, that should be you, a right? tailwind in the current quarter. Yeah. In theory, if yeah. there was a glut. Well, you, you know, know I, I totally agree with BK. He took, a, took my thunder, which was the pricing power. I mean, it's very much like Netflix, right? I mean, if you have pricing like power, you have power. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you have power, you have power. They do. And I think the digital growth, when that's now 13% of what they're selling, and it's growing at 60%, Boy, that's something you got to mm-hmm. focus on because that's something as they get that Chipotle working as well. Chipotle. By the way, yeah. I think Starbucks needs some kind of a Chipotle in there. That might help out their efficiency. They as can't well. call they it need Chipotle. I know they can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're using, using it. You know, the Starline. I don't know. Star whatever you want to do. They're doing fine. But this, yeah. had been a, this has been a great trade for Bill Ackman. Oh, my God. Yeah, tremendous. I don't know what he was back. hoping for. This has to, you know, he's got to be delighted. I, I don't know yeah. what he's going to do with it, but good for him. All right. For more on the latest earnings and what they mean for the market, let's, uh, you can go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Video game stocks are getting crushed. Is it game over for these once hot stocks? Or are these stocks setting up for the perfect reset? We will explain. Plus, just some brownies of the pot variety. We're not on spring break. Where'd you get those? Yeah, it's definitely not spring break. And we'll tell you what a new crackdown on edibles in New York and across the country could mean for the pot stocks. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Video game stocks getting wrecked as two of the biggest oh. names in the group warned there could be more trouble ahead and maybe a sign we've already hit peak video games. Let's go to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with more. Hey, Josh. Mel, let's start with Electronic Arts there, which printed revenue that missed the streets forecast. EA, we know, is dealing with a lot of competition from other big publishers like Activision, as well as that global phenomenon that is Fortnite. Remember, Epic said in November that Fortnite reached 200 million registered players. EA acknowledged on the call that it made mistakes, emphasizing the single-player experience of its game Battlefield V rather than the popular Battle Royale mode of Fortnite. Then, of course, there is Take Two, which also got nailed in today's trade after delivering a disappointing forecast. CEO Strauss Zelnick was on CNBC today. Take a listen. Fortnite was a huge hit last year. That's great. Um, you know, we, we admire the work done by others. We'd like to have all the hits. We don't always get all the hits. At the same time that Fortnite was doing well, Grand Theft Auto Online had another record year. And Red Dead Redemption 2 has sold in over 23 million units at the same time that other titles are in the marketplace doing well. As long as we deliver quality, people show up. And that's what we've seen in this quarter, and that's what we're projecting in the year. Now, one question for video game investors from here. Do these disappointing earnings results signal some kind of peak in video games? I checked in with Michael Pachter of Wedbush. Now, he says no way. In part, that's because how this content is delivered is changing fast, he says. It's not just about traditional gaming consoles anymore, but also smartphones, Amazon downloads, and streaming platforms. And Pachter argues that's going to help drive strong growth in the future. He calls the sell-offs we're seeing in Activision and Take-Two big buying opportunities. Mel, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Is this an opportunity 
you think? So I think uh, here's the opportunity: is that maybe it's it's there's a lot of different there's a lot of competition out there right now. But if Take Two and these these guys can figure out a way to monetize in game, the concept of your digital twin, the concept of having Hold on. Of your digital you got a digital twin, twin bro. Well, don't we all? Don't you all? Yeah, like who does that? Wait, wait, is this different from an avatar? I hate to be a, a video yes. game. Game. Innocence, you, or you know, idiot, or whatever you want to call it. You'd never be that. No, no, no. It's, you, it's, but, it's just you, your digital version of you. Okay. And then you have a whole digital wardrobe and your digital closet. Oh, and then I can buy digital clothes. What you're talking about. Exactly. Buy digital food. If, and, that is a revenue stream. They're not yes. there yet, right. and there's a lot of competition. But to me, I don't think buying the video game stocks is the way to play that. I think there's other ways to play that. I need a twin. I, we're definitely not at peak game. We're not at peak video game. We, we are getting to a case where it could be peak competition 15 times very cheap right here. So... We ask, is the group heading for a reset? Joel Kalina is a head of technology trading at Wedbush Securities. Joel, great to have you with us. Um, so is it... Yeah, thanks for having me on. When we see these two negative data points out of EA and, and Take-Two, do we think that there's an industry-wide theme here? I mean, is it, you know, the competition of the Fortnites? Is it this move to the freemium? Or are these individual stories that you see that, that shot themselves in the foot? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a combination of kind of everything you guys touched on earlier. You have a, an investor base, which is really kind of reassessing that the multiple that the group deserves. I mean, we're seeing a mean reversion to, to the multiple uh, from historical levels. Do I think some, you know, some of today's price actions are a little bit over-exaggerated over to the downside? Pos potentially, especially in Take-Two, Activision. I agree 100% with Pactor on those. But you look at a company like, like Electronic Arts, they cut their, their first warning was back in August, mm -hmm. uh, where they missed on kind of FIFA World Cup during a World Cup year. Mobile performance was terrible. They sold only 7 million Battlefield 5 units versus 15 million units uh, just two years ago. So they've you know, kind of missed the board you know, they missed, they missed across all metri metrics, and execution was a big problem. And I think the Fortnite effect is, is real, and, and hence why we heard that from Reed Hastings over two weeks ago. He called Fortnite out as his number one competitor, yeah. and is clearly taking, uh, you know, money at the expense of the publishers. I mean, on, on a, in a case like EA, you say that Battlefield Five was crap before it was even released. That's not my word. I believe that's yours. Um, so is this, is this sort of like a movie, yeah. movie studio where it's just... A release away or a pipeline away from from getting back to its glory days in terms of the stock multiple, or, or is a jury out on yeah. EA? I think I think right now the jury's jury's out, at least in the near term. I think stocks will remain in the penny box for at least the next three months. Um, and I think there, there was also in, in late Q3, a little bit early Q4, we saw a revolving door at the management and studio level as well. EA got rid of a lot of top talent. And to, to kind of get, they really just have no credibility who's going to step in and produce that top content. I don't think the investors have much faith in the current leadership, and hence why it's probably a good, a good candidate for an activist to step in. We all know the, the gaming sector is not slowing down. There's 2.3 billion gamers globally, according to Newzu, that put out a report last month. I mean, the TAM is, is phenomenal. It's not going away. This is where younger generation mm -hmm. kids are doing. They're, they're playing video games. And I think there's opportunities, but right now, EA, I wouldn't touch it with your money. Um, I'd be looking at Activision. A name like Ubisoft probably has a little bit more uh, runway for, as far as margin expansion goes. They have a game called The Division 2 launching March 15th. Right. And even on the mobile side, Zynga reported great numbers tonight. And Activision Blizzard, is that a takeout target? I mean, as J.P. Morgan would say, they, they think Apple should buy an Activision. Yeah, I thought, I thought J.P. Morgan's note earlier, I believe it was on Monday, I thought it was a great note, and it, do, it does make a lot of sense. 
Um, it would go, be very, very complimentary to kind of hopefully drive the replacement cycle for the high-end smartphones. They've obviously been ahead of the curve as far as 3D sensing, AR, VR technology goes as well. So it definitely makes sense for Apple to make a big push in the video game space. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely a possibility. All right, Joel, great to speak with you. Thank you so much. Joel Kulina of Wedbush. Great. Thanks for having me. What do you think, Pete? You know, I don't think the opportunity is in buying these names. I think the opportunity is what feeds into these names. And so I'd immediately go to NVIDIA yes. or something like that, NVIDIA. where you've got <clears throat> revenue is there 67% coming from gaming. Yeah. Everybody looks at NVIDIA as something else, crypto, whatever they want to look at. The reality is it's still in gaming. That and AMD are both in that, that category. I like them both. I think Activision's sort of interesting here. I mean, it's down, you know, with the group. It was 81, too, I don't know, uh, and now it's 43, and not that much has happened. That, to me, of the group seems the most interesting. I think EA really, yeah, you don't know what you're getting, really. Well, I, I, I put it this way. First of all, you're getting almost 14 bucks a share in cash, and you're getting a company for that I think EA. management is for EA. Mm -hmm. And I think management's done, as Joel pointed out, I think management's done a terrible job on guidance here. Um, but... Why shouldn't Amazon be stepping up to the plate to be, to be consolidating this industry? I mean, it makes so much sense for their business model. Um, I agree that Apple should be there, too. Uh, both of those names are talked about as not only major competition, but consolidators in the industry. But 15 times forward, I think EA you know, versus 25 times the three-year average. I think there's value. So I, I agree that all of these are probably a takeout candidate at some point. It makes a lot of sense for a studio, somebody like a Disney. Now, problem that Disney has buying most of these games that are popular are first-person shooter. Not exactly conducive to the mouse Listen ears. to you. Nonetheless. Is this digital, Brian, talking this about This is digital. Yeah. Yeah. Between the first-person I mean, shooter. Listen, I'm yeah, just I'm back from a Bitcoin conference. I got all this digital stuff on my mind. <laughs> Let, Let it out, out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Coming up, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen telling CNBC's Steve Leesman the next move for the Fed could be a rate cut in an exclusive interview earlier today. How likely is that scenario? The traders will weigh in. Plus, hot stocks getting smoked. We can't get enough of that, right? Yeah. We, we just that love getting puns. Smoked. As regulators crack down on CBD products, will the move spark an even bigger sell-off in this space? Much more Fast Money still ahead. Yeah. Welcome back to Fast Money. Former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen sitting down in an exclusive interview with our own Steve Leisman earlier today to discuss what the net Fed's next move could be. Take a listen. Of course it's possible. Um, it, if uh, global growth really weakens and that spills over to the United States or financial conditions um, tighten more and we do see a weakening in the U.S. Mm -hmm. economy, it's, it's certainly possible that the next move is a cut, but bo both outcomes are possible. We're also looking ahead to current Fed Chair Jerome Powell, who will be speaking in a little over an hour at a teacher town hall in Washington. He's expected to answer questions on monetary policy. So will the Fed, Fed's next move be a cut or a hike? And is the Fed still the key to this market? Tim? Um, the Fed is absolutely still the key. Yes. Um, if, if you put a gun to my head, because I hate this question, because I still think right now the U.S. economy is in a very good place, uh, and I think the rest of the world is slowing dramatically. Again, the global PMI index is at second quarter 2016 level. Um, I would say it's still a hike. 
Um, but again, this is a Fed, she used the term financial conditions. That's code for if the markets get really gnarly. Um, and I think the Fed told you again in the, fa- in the, in the Powell Fed, mm-hmm. they are willing to give a market's put, which is disappointing, especially the purists like yeah. Guy Adami who's not here today. The, f- the Fed put uh, is clearly <laughs> there. I mean, they, they showed their hand over the, last couple, uh, uh, over the last couple weeks. That being said, I'm not convinced that they'll actually cut over the next six months or so. They could just let this thing run for a bit. They may do some shenanigans with their balance sheet to do stuff. So I, I don't know if a cut has to be the absolute thing, but I would be very surprised if they raised rates in 2019. I mean, if they raise rates because things are good, isn't that good? Yes. I think uh, also, also, yes. uh, should we be back think, to that? Right, I <laughs> sure. think that is good. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, it also depends on what is the rhetoric, what's the context for that raise, and right. what else are they going to say about what did they tend, intend to do the rest of the year, as well as that balance sheet, which had been completely off the table, is now very much in play, it right. seems. That, that, I think, would be... Very interesting. And we heard from Mnuchin talking about the economy's terrific right now, yep. right? I mean, so I, I would see much more of a rate well, rise. What else is he going to say? <clears throat> right. I mean, really. But geez. it does look pretty good, right? <laughs> I mean, when we look at the economic positions here, they look pretty good. Now, uh, elsewhere, they don't look so great, but the right. put's in place. Yeah, well, but I don't, I mean, you'd have to have see a massive rise in inflation yes. before the Fed to really before move this they, year. It, it, I, I think they've already showed just that in this environment, unless you've got screaming inflation, they're not going to do anything. It does seem that they're, they're more comfortable, or they are comfortable with an inflation overshoot. If, it, if there's any scenario present that they're yes. like, okay, you know, we're, we're well, willing to take that risk. They've already studied to, that, and in June, you might early. even get a policy change, because that's when they're supposed to come out with inflation targeting. But if things are so bad, the way you say, and the way Joe says, everybody's moving to easy monetary policy around the world at this point, and we actually hike rates, one hike could actually mean very big things because the disparity between us and and German bonds is going to be much greater. Right. Ten-year bond at 16 basis points, basically everything we're getting. And by the way, this is all, you know, this is all right now um, somewhat dollar neutral. I think the dollar is another big factor. The dollar has been under control, but it started to have a three or four-day rally. I, I, I do think the differentials between the U.S. and the rest of the world are narrowing. In other words, if anything, we're coming back to the pack. And I think for now, that's very good for the for, for, for risk assets. Yeah, and, if, it, and if, it's, if this is dollar neutral or maybe even dollar negative that the Fed's weak, then look at gold. I mean, something's going on with that. If you think every central bank in the world is going to go back to printing money, you want to look at gold. All right. Still ahead, pot stocks are on fire this year, but will a big CBD crackdown put out their flame? We've got the details. Oh, so <laughs> traders nice are piling into this soaring tech stock ahead of its earnings report this week, and the name... What has them so bullish when Fast Money returns? Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks cooling off today as a crackdown on CBD products heat up. The latest reports from New York City show officials confiscating CBD edibles, calling them potential health risks. CBD products have been popping up in coffee shops, corner stores, even restaurants in the wake of the Farm Bill, which was signed into law in December. It allowed for the legalization of CBD, but for now, FDA regulations prevent it from being added to food and drink. So with stocks like Kronos, Canopy Growth, Afria, all up double digits this year, could the crackdown on CBD be the start of a bigger problem for the pot market? Tim. No, no, it's, it, this is growing pains, and there's no pun intended there either. Bottom line here is that the CBD market, especially that is coming from industrialized hemp, which is now legal through the Farm Bill, is, look, 
people should be regulated. Let's be clear. I don't want restaurants putting stuff in my food that's not been regulated in some way. Um, this does not change the story. New York State is moving hard and fast to full recreational legalization. Um, the entire cannabis sector and then those hemp names as well have moved anywhere from on average, but if you look at the sector, it's moved 85% year to date. So um, legalization is different than regulation. And to be clear, the industry embraces regulation. The industry wants regulation. Most of these companies actually really uh, And I appreciate that. that, but is that possibility of regulation, especially when we don't know the form of regulation, is that embedded in the valuation of these stocks right now? Or are the stocks still trading as well, if there think, is no regulation? I don't think that this crackdown is necessarily a, a, a new form of regulation. They're simply saying, listen, you can't put something in food that isn't FDA approved. That's all. So those are the rules we already have. I wouldn't say this is anything crazy whatsoever. And I think the consumer is going to drive this. We've seen so much demand in this sector. The consumer is going to demand it. It'll get FDA approval or there'll be another way to do it. So, Tim, I got a quick question yeah. for you. In terms of uh, when I look at all these companies, is there a burn rate issue for any of them, in your opinion, that you're concerned about at least uh, going that's forward? That's funny. In terms of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, in terms of timing, rate. yeah, the burn rate. In terms of timing, because a lot of these companies, obviously, they got great market caps, but how much cash do they have and do they have enough to continue to go on in the same way that they have been? Well, look, like any growth industry, a lot of these companies are starved for cash. And if, right. that, if anything, the equity markets have been very expensive for them to pursue, especially right now. In fact, we are seeing the debt market start to open up a little bit, uh, some of the structured debt products. I, I would say, like, as far as CBD goes, people think that this came from nowhere to become a major driver for the valuations of these companies. Two years ago, CBD was probably a $200 million market in this country. Now people are talking about it as a $3 billion market in a couple of years. Um, how much is that in the stock prices? I think some of it is. Um, I think the reality is we don't even know what the size of that market is. I think the valuations for the sector imply an enormous amount of growth. And yes, Pete, a lot of these companies uh, really are starved for capital right now and have enormous, you know, they're, they're supposed to be hockey sticking right now in their valuations because that's what they've told investors without capital. They cannot do that. All right. Coming up, shares of speaker company Sonos getting blown out after its earnings report. Uh, this show is wow. just rich tonight. Uh, we will tell you what is weighing on the stock. And Jim Cramer will be all over earnings tonight on Mad Money. He is digging into some of the biggest surprises this season. That is at the top of the hour. We're live at the Nasdaq and Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Sonos. The stock plunging as much as 15% after announcing record revenues and profits, but announcing its CFO will retire this year. The company reaffirmed full-year guidance, however, said slowing sales will impact Q2. It is down 6%. Yeah, yeah I think 16. that's... There's, there's, 6%. There's two big things with this. Is One, they talked about Europe and how sales are there are really slowing and would impact it. And secondarily, investors are concerned with competition. So you have Google and Amazon kind of moving into their space, giving away products at much cheaper price where they can't necessarily compete. So even though guidance was reaffirmed, I don't think the CFO thing's a big deal. Sounds like they're going to be there. Even though guidance was reaffirmed, I think people are concerned about the growth going forward. Forward. Yeah, and I think it looks like they had a little bit of an inventory problem as well, which you hate to see. I love the product. I think it's so fantastic. But it could be a Fitbit, could be a GoPro. Those could all be great I products. I mean, how many speakers can you have a at lot, this point, a lot right? Speakers, because if you have, have a Google lot. speaker Everybody's or an Amazon speaker. I mean, right. this is, there's yeah. nothing novel but about what still, they do yeah. anymore. And look, if, if Apple is a hardware company is under you know, a fair amount of pressure right now, what's Sonos going to be? So I, I wouldn't touch it. 
All right, from one tech stock to another, Twitter reporting earnings tomorrow before the bell. And after an up and down quarter, the stock is pretty much right where it was uh, at the end of October. That could be about to join, though, the social surge we've seen in the likes of Facebook as well as Snap. So let's get the options action on Twitter, see how the traders are playing that. Get to Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so Twitter was interesting today. We saw bullish bets outpacing bearish ones with about double the average daily call volume. And the implied move going into earnings is about 12.5%. That's a lot, but it is in line with the average move that Twitter has seen in its history as a publicly traded company. And where we saw most of that opening activity today was in the February 8th Weekly 35 strike calls, over 8,000 of those traded for about $1.80. So the stock would need to be up nearly 9% for those just to break even. But I think it's reasonable to assume that that trader is hoping to make money by buying calls. So presumably they're betting on a bet that the stock's going to go higher by at least 13% or so. What kind of activity have you seen in general in the social stocks, since, especially since a lot of the other companies have reported earnings already? What do you see going on in the future? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in a lot of places, this is one of those cases where we actually are seeing implied moves that are consistent with what it has done historically. Mm -hmm. Pete can speak to this as well, but actually a lot of the other names, what the options markets have been implying is slightly more subdued. And I think the reason for that is because in many places we've already seen some fairly sharp moves ahead of things like earnings and so on. And so what we are seeing is that some of that presumably is baked in. Although in areas outside of tech, Names like CMG that we saw today, for example, sometimes the options markets underestimates what actually takes place. Pete, did you see that? You know, the one area where we did see some paper ahead of earnings was Snap as well. So we had some monster buying back in January in Snap. We had some more buying today even after their earnings. But I think in terms of Twitter, I think Mike's right. People are expecting a fairly big move. And, and it makes a lot of sense to me because when you look at what Twitter's been doing and what's going on in the world today, whether it's political, sports, whatever it is, it is absolutely feeding into Twitter, and now the valuation level, it actually has a valuation, is not that bad. Yeah, and it's trading right at that kind of breakdown level where they said they missed their monthly active users back in July. So, you know, this is setting up for a big move one way or the other. I happen to think probably higher is the way I would play it. I think people are looking past some of these seemingly existential threats against their business, whether it was some of the privacy concerns, whether it was the, the clarity on really the accuracy of their subs. But the DAU growth to me has been undeniable. I, I think the company, while it's not growing at the rate of some of its peers, um, I think the service is learning how to monetize. And I'm actually very impressed by all the ad metrics. Once upon a time, we, we would say, oh, Facebook's doing X, Y, and Z. Is that a threat to Twitter or vice versa? Facebook's doing badly. Is, that means somebody else is benefiting. Right. Do you see it that way? I mean, you're in Facebook, so. Only in Instagram and, uh, mm -hmm. and Snap. But, uh, no, I think that the, uh, it, it bodes well for them, seeing what Facebook numbers put up. Google's numbers were huge. I mean, I think it bodes well for them. I don't think it's a share thing. I think the pie is just I think there's enormous. scarcity in the space, too. I, again, I, there's only... in terms of kinds for, of for investments for this to, kind of Exactly. I mean, industry. where are you going to allocate dollars to something that's becoming the sole place for, for media, essentially ad revenue, to be generated? And think about the I, engagement I, you know. factor. I mean, that, that, I think, is something that's become right. huge across all these different social media the engagement is there right now. Yeah. And, and Twitter itself is a unique property, right? You use Twitter for one specific thing where you might use Instagram for something else. So I do think Twitter itself has a place in the social landscape. All right, Mike, thank you. Good to see you, Mike Coe in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Match Group, one of the biggest players in online dating. That stock is up nearly 10% in the after-hour session, nearing its all-time high as its Tinder platform grew subscribers 40% year-over-year. Tim, I don't know why we're going to. We're, we're going to the trade. We're just, we're, I'm picking a random trader here. What can I say? Seems now, appropriate, look, though. The, the, as uh, Deutsche Bank had a report out today where they termed this the gold rush is over. These guys are growing 400,000 subs for the last four or five quarters. Um, I think the growth on this company is expected to slow down substantially, even though this is a $15 billion company, folks, and it's a company that's certainly dominated in the, the social, you know, what do we call this? This segment of, of when people are online, the online data. Anyway, at 35 <laughs> times earnings, it, it's a company that's hardly <laughs> cheap. In fact, if you're going to play kind of the online world, I think IAC overmatches a better trade. Uh, the stock had rallied 70% into these numbers. High short interest. I think some of this is some short covering. Um, ultimately, I, I would um, swipe right, I guess. Is that, <laughs> so is that right right or left? So you didn't know what online you would like, you like it. And you, you knew how to swipe. You like it. What can I tell you? Do you remember when Facebook said it was going to get into this business, or there were some reports that Facebook would go into this business and, and match right. kind of you know, well, I mean, wasn't that what Facebook that. was originally designed to do? Yeah. Was is that match? what you do? Is yeah, that what you on Facebook? I'm ta- I watched the movie. That's what it looked like to me. Oh, it was matching friends. I, if, I'm looking yeah. at, if I'm looking at match at these levels uh, <laughs> at 58 bucks after the run from as low as 35, uh, I'm going to swipe left, I think it is, if you don't it's like it. It's too confusing. You don't like it. Yeah, I don't okay. like it. Final trade I, time. I would rather. <laughs> Array Biopharma. Keep an eye on this name, Cancer Drugs. This thing is really, uh, the options in there are on fire. Gideon. Chairwoman. Yes, I like what I own even with this run-up in the markets, but time to buy protection. VIX has come in. Buy S&P puts. Brian Kelly or your digital twin. Yes. Either one. No, it's actually Brian <laughs> Kelly. It's actual reality. And AMD. I like this one because oh. they're gaining market share. Tim. And I want to make it clear to my wife, I am not on Tinder with Brian. Swiping left or right. Um, <laughs> bottom line here is, look at the oil and gas sector. You've actually had a pretty good rally back off terrible expectations, highly shorted. I like energy services here, OIH. All right, that does the rest of you. Back here tomorrow at 5 more fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.